in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So thank you very much for inviting me and thank you for uh, the good, great introduction. So let me take it from a different perspective now. So our title is The Gift of Life versus Euthanasia. And the Church Fathers are teaching us something very interesting. Whenever we are talking about any subject in the Church, we have always to start from the beginning, from the creation and the fall. So the church in the liturgy is summarizing the whole story of the Bible and summarizing the whole story of salvation as well. So there are five words can summarize the whole journey of salvation. The first one is creation. Second one is fall. The third one is plan of salvation fourth one salvation and the fifth one is second coming and if you think of the liturgy you'll find these five words are the key of each part of the liturgy so if we believe that the beginning was the creation then we have to find out why God created man to see is euthanasia something right or, or wrong Saint Sophilus of Antioch who died in 106 has a very important statement in the church history. He says, God created man with the potential to be mortal or immortal through obedience or disobedience. So now we have that choice. God created man with the potential to be mortal or immortal through obedience or disobedience. What happened is that man, man, uh, did not accept the the choice of life and he died and he chose this that's why the church is teaching us now if now the beginning was the creation the choice of this was man's choice that's why in the liturgy of saint basil we say and this which entered into the world by the envy of the devil this is something alien we are not created to die but we have the potential to choose life and mortality or this immortality, sorry, and this immortality. So if we focus on this from the beginning, that the Creator created us to live, to have the choice of life. Now, through our first father Adam and through Eve, we choose this immortality. So the creation and the fall, the creation is God's act, the fall is our human act. The plan of salvation, the third word, is what God has prepared through the Old Testament to reach the point of Christ. And as we are approaching the nativity or Christmas time, in a few days, the church is saying that salvation has started by the Annunciation till the last act in the life of Christ, which is ascension. And then at the very end of the creed, we are saying we are, look, we are looking forward for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if this picture in our minds, then we can approach the gift of life and to see the euthanasia in a different perspective. And at the same time, we need to know that there is a creator and we are creatures. And we can play in a different manner. If he is the creator, he has to make the rule for our life. And now we are here to be either to choose obedience or disobedience, mortality or immortality. According to St. Cyril the Great, we lost this through the first Adam and first Eve, that we are 
born to be mortal, born in corruptibility. And now, through Jesus Christ, we have the option once more to choose life and choose immortality and eternity through Christ. So the second thing is, if now we lost life and we became mortal. Again, St. Gregory of Nazianza is telling us, after the fall, Adam and Eve remain existent but not alive. So we need to know the difference between being alive and being existent. Later they died physically, but immediately upon the fall, they remain existent but not living anymore. So that's why we have many people around us, they are existing and they are achieving a lot of things, but not alive because you are disconnected from the source of life, which is God himself. And now let me turn with you to First John chapter 1 and we read the first few verses. St. John is telling us now we have to approach something differently. If we lost life as a gift from God through Adam and Eve, now there is an, uh, another option that we can choose life once more. He says that which was not from the beginning, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, which you have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So through the incarnation, life was manifested. We were disconnected from the source of life through uh, sin, and now we have the option to be reconnected once more. And why again? He's adding verse 3, that which we have seen and which we have heard declared to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Which means to be alive, you are in a fellowship, in a divine life with the Holy Trinity. Through the Son, Jesus Christ, and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if we focus on how the Word of God is explaining to us the meaning of life, how it was a gift given to us, we lost through the first Adam, and we have the option and the choice to restore it through the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. For St. Augustine says, the life itself has been manifested in flesh, so that what can be seen by the heart alone might be seen also by the eyes as well. So now, life has been manifested. We can see life with our own eyes. So if the first point, we have five words, and we know the purpose of creation, how we have been fallen, and why we have been fallen, why we choose death and mortality and corruptibility, and now life has been manifested once more. Again, we are taking this side or this way of thinking to see if we are the church, if we are the believers, if we are those who have a fellowship with the Holy Trinity, how we should think and approach any subject, not only Eucenity. The third point I would like to share it with you, because from the introduction you, we had a few minutes ago, I have the choice to kill myself or to accept the killing of my son or my brother or whatever it is. In First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, this is what St. Paul was telling us. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 
again, you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. St. Paul putting it very clearly that it is, you are not your own. Then when you are saying that you have that choice, you have the freedom, yes, but as a Christian, you don't have this freedom. Why? Because now you are putting yourself under the law of God. That's why St. Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I choose to be under, and many times he said, bond slave of Jesus Christ. I choose to be under the full authority of the word of God and the full authority of the word of the commandments. When the Lord himself said in John chapter 12 and verse 50, for I know that his commandment, his command, commandment is an eternal life. And now I have to think the way he is telling me. I'm not going to choose this. I'm not going to choose another commandment because he said this is eternal life. In regarding this verse in First Corinthians 3 and 1920, Tertullian was saying, according to Plato, the body of man is a prison, whereas according to St. Paul, it is the temple of God being in Christ. So if you see it as a prison, as Plato, then you would like to get rid of pain and suffering. If you think as a temple, then you are going to endure suffering with Christ willingly, as we will explain more in a few minutes. The same thing is by uh, uh, St. Ambrose. He was saying, who is both has no right to make his own decisions. We need to focus on these words. Who has been both has no right to make his own decision. Willingly and joyfully, as we said a few minutes ago, St. Paul seeing himself, I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's my choice. I am born slave of Jesus Christ. That will be up to the one who bought him. So what is the opinion of the creator on his creation? Uh, is he giving us the right to be his children and to choose to die? Or if we abandon our life from him and disconnect ourselves from him, then we have this choice. And even he gave us the freedom to rebel against him, against his existence. So it's very important to know that if you are believing that you are both, it means we have no, no, no right to take a decision in our life. And the fourth thing I would like to share with you today is it's a commandment. Uh, the sixth commandment in, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, you shall not murder in a very simple way whether by your choice or, or by the choice of one else, someone else. You spoke in your introduction about uh, different pros and cons with euthanasia. And some of, it, some of the pros that it is going to end uh, a suffering of someone. How we can deal with this if we know that, for example, in the United Kingdom, in one of the last reports, one in four are suffering from depression, clinical depression. This is what is reported. And most of them wants to end up their lives. Do we have to give them the right to do it if it's a freedom of choice? Uh, more than that, if Abuna is sitting with us, many who are coming to confess wants to end their lives. So do we have to give them the such permission that you are free, do whatever you want? Or you are here to assure everyone 
that we have been called that life has been manifested and offered once more to every one of us. Father Alexander Schmemann was searching at one point what is the forbidden fruit? What is this sin that uh, Adam and Eve committed that we are all suffering because of it now? And he has a very nice quote about sin itself. It's not only don't kill, because the root of each sin is in this quote, I believe. He was saying the forbidden fruit is to try to be like God without God. What does it mean? From the beginning, since God created man, he said, let us make man according to our image and likeness. So from the beginning, God did it. And now the serpent is coming and say, you will be like God. The idea that Father Shmuel was trying to introduce it is not the act itself, it is who is behind the act. Would you like to be like God? Yes. But from where are you going to get it? The same thing. Would you like to follow a commandment or a pattern or to make people more joyful? Yes. From which hand are you going to take the rule? If it's from God, then it's true. If it's not from God, even if it looks similar, we are using, unfortunately, nice words, merciful this or mercy this, and dignified this. Even the word euthanasia in Greek, it means good death. But is it really good death that I'm depressed? I would like to get rid of my life so a doctor or a professional is going to help me. So when we think with Father Shmemen, it is again, who is the source of the idea? We can use easily the media and promote evil things in a different way. So we need to, to think always who is behind this idea. What is the source of it? And remember, the forbidden fruit is to try to be like God without God. To, to put some more emphasis on this notion of Father Shmemen, if you think of money, money is a gift from God. And now maybe I'm just newly graduate graduated from university and I need to buy a car for 10,000 for example I need maybe to save it over a year or two and someone else is offering me a bribe just for a signature and he was giving, giving me the money right now what the devil did is he stole something from the hand of God and offering it to me today maybe a year earlier or two years earlier because he can't invent anything he's trying to be uh, more clever or trying to uh, deceive me as he did with, with Adam and Eve and to take something from the hand of God and give it to me before time or in a different way. Same thing for sex before marriage. He can create sex and sex is holy and created by God. All what he can do is to offer it before time, not in the due time in the holy matrimony. This is the idea of Father Shmemen. When we think of sin, whatever it is, is to try to, 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 to be like God without God. Think always of the source of the idea. Who is promoting this idea and why? And we'll speak more about some of the pros and cons in a few minutes. That's why St. Clement of Alexandria even sees heretics and heretics in the church are more harmful than murderers. Why? Because you are changing the path of eternity, changing the path of salvation. How much more if we are doing this on a person who just may be depressed 
or in a pain or someone was saying that he is missing, making a kidney dialysis two, three times a week and he can live with it maybe for five, ten years, but he is giving up. So we are giving him up. Still he is functional, still he is a father or a mother or someone doing something good. Still his salvation not completed and now I'm giving him the chance to kill himself with the assistance of a killer whoever is going to be at that time. That's why when we, we speak of the commandments, do not kill, it's very clear, do not kill. Even we have a reference in the Bible. We have two I would like to share with you one of them. To remember the story of King David and King Saul. When Saul was killed in the war. Let me read it with you. It's First Samuel chapter 1 verse 9, 10, and I think we'll read 14 and 15. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. So the guy who killed Saul, he was sure. I don't know how, but he's not going to stand anymore. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. David rebuked him and said, So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. The Bible is telling us it was not allowed even for such thing. Not only because he is the anointed one, because we have no right to do it for anyone. And in the same thing, the, the Bible is affirming it many times, that we have no right to choose this. Even in a, in, in a spiritual way, if you remember the very famous verse in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 30, Moses was telling them, now I brought, you before, uh, I brought before you life and death, curses and blessing. So choose life that you and your descendants may live. What does it mean? Even in a spiritual realm, the Bible is encouraging us to choose life and life eternal. And when we have a chance to live, if you look to most of the church prayers, especially the morning prayers, we thank God that he is giving us another day another chance to repent, another step to go towards our heavenly calling. St. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 that we are partakers of a heavenly calling. How much more do we think of this? Definitely in the church the meaning of this is different from the world. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 21, everything is for you. And then he is making a list of uh, things in this life, things in the life to come, and what else? And life and this. He puts them in the same level, but not to hate this, and not also to love, to choose this. When even St. Paul himself in Philippians chapter 1 was telling us that he has the desire to leave this body. But he said, but to be here, to stand more in this life, it's more beneficial for you. So what are you going to choose? I'm going to choose God's will, not my own personal will. Despite he was assured of his eternity, but he felt he is compelled to stay for
for the benefit of the whole church for a while. The other point I would like to share with you is being something bad because most of the arguments you're using, we are going to reduce pain. It is uh, more dignified. Again, the world is portraying pain and suffering in a different way. And so, uh, unfortunately also in a very selfish way. I'm sure you read it many times in the past few weeks, how the Ebola was frightening the whole world because it might affect them. But the people who died with Ebola is much, much, much less than who are dying because of hunger or any other disease. So when the West is thinking of it, thinking of himself, the same thing. Are we seeing suffering as suffering for everyone and against anyone? And we are really keen on relieving the suffering or minimizing suffering of everyone? Or again, we are using nice motives and nice statements to present our selfishness to the society as well. St. Peter in 1 Peter and chapter 4 verse 1, he was saying, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If someone, as the example was given earlier uh, today, having a dialysis, and he's doing it twice or three times a week, definitely it's a suffering how to get the best of it to be means of grace for your own salvation. How Abu Nabshir Kamal was calling the pains and the cancer as the paradise, the disease of the paradise. We can use everything for our own salvation. But because the world, the world salvation is too far from their minds, it's not considered at all as something could be beneficial for the sake of the salvation of human beings. That's why St. Paul was telling us, to know him and the power of his resurrection, something great. And what else? He wants also to share, to participate in his own suffering. Unfortunately, sometimes in some churches, we used to preach a risen Lord without cross, which is very shameful on us. We need always to present the whole life of Christ. St. Paul says twice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11, that the life of Christ may be manifested in our mortal bodies. What does it mean, the life of Christ? Is it resurrection alone, ascension alone, that we have a place in heaven? No. Everything in the life of Christ, including the cross. So when we think of pain and suffering in the church, we need to think of it in a more positive way. We are sharing something with Christ. How to see Christ in our own suffering how to see that by enduring such suffering it might lead us to repentance it might change our attitudes might soften our hearts toward each other even if not the suffering is not only for I mean, going to end up with this if you have just a normal pain and you feel such suffering when you are even in a spiritual pain if you are now coming to the church and you are suffering from a sin that you are tried many times to get rid of it gives you a softening in your heart when you see a sinner not to condemn him or her, not to judge him or her, but to have pity and to have love and compassion upon everyone who is in the same status. So the church sees suffering as totally different from the world. And again, the last thing I would like to show you, or maybe the one before the last, 
well, if you can summarize the pros that you, you were uh, introducing at the beginning, one of them is cost. That it, we are going to reduce the cost, I think uh, it's here. Uh, reduction of healthcare costs for the patient's family. Fine. Of course, in our country, for example, we don't pay anything. It's <laughs> reduction for the NHS, not for the family. But let me share with you a few figures because the statement looks nice, looks for the benefit of the society, but in reality, it's fake. Why? I was just uh, flipping on a few pages today. This, you were saying that the healthcare in the United States is hitting $3.8 trillion. So it's a big figure. I don't know how much of it is could be saved from euthanasia. But in just uh, after a few pages, that the waste in the United, United States every year in al alcohol and smoking and uh, waste of food is 0.5 trillion, which nearly 18, 19%. So if we'd like to save, we have many ways to save, not on account of a life of someone who doesn't want to live anymore. Because again, if the mindset of the society is you are going to live here and here alone, you're going to live here and your life here should end whenever you want because you are a free person living in a free country. This is not the reality of what we believe. So it's very good to, to notice something here. You know, whenever we are talking with someone who has a different views in his belief, whether he is an atheist or uh, another religion, whatever it is, the first thing he is trying to do is, is trying to put his, his own glasses over your eyes to see with him that there is a fact that now we are going to save money. No. The same thing for when we talk about creation. Anyone who is against creation and not of the creation, who wants me to put his own glasses to see things as he wants me to see it. Please insist and focus that you have own, your own glasses with you. It is the word of God. It is the teaching and understanding of the church for, of the word of God. Don't allow anyone to put his own glasses over your own eyes. So the, the idea, of course, it's a lie. But it could be presented in a very nice way. And by changing the, your glasses, you can see it as, as it is. The second thing is you're saying freedom of choice. I think we discussed this earlier. But I have no ch choice if I believe in Christ. I am the bond slave of Christ. I am choosing life to the last breath. And I'm taking the opportunity of every single minute in my life to repent and to encounter a relationship with God. Sometimes you said that, but he is not productive. He, yes. That's why the legal part of the euthanasia, which is blogging, uh, bullying the plug, is accepted because, as you know, of course, it's clinically dead. And the machines are just trying to prolong his life with no accountability at all. That's why the church is accepting this. And even any doctor doing it is doing it with a good conscience, not in a bad conscience at all. But of course, to think of any other ways, it is not acceptable. The third thing you were mentioning is it's less pain and more dignity. Again, if we leave it so vague, 
we are going to miss up a lot. As I told you, in, in the United Kingdom, one in four are suffering from clinical depression at one point. Are we going to allow them all to commit suicide or to assist their suicide? Because also one of the points here, and you were saying, you know, legal physician assisted, assisted suicide can prevent many messy or traumatic suicide and reduce the probability of failed suicide. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I read it many times, but do you think this is something reasonable? How many people we know or heard stories about them that I tried to commit suicide once or twice and it failed and the failure was from God? And God saved my life once more, or maybe twice more. And now I'm living a holy life with the Lord. So it's not a matter of a freedom of choice anymore. It is, again, the forbidden fruit is to try to be like God without God. The devil wants to kill. As the Lord himself said in John 10.10, 10, the thief is coming to, to destroy, to steal, destroy, and kill. But now we are making this killing in a nice way. We call it a give it a nice title and present it to, to most of the society who are not believing in Christ. Let me end up with you with two stories. One of them is true fiction, if you can call it. If you imagine Keda, it was a night before the crucifixion, Thursday night. One of the soldiers decided to kill the two thieves who are going to be crucified with Christ next morning. They are going to die by all means, either tomorrow or today. So out of, yani, to release them from the pain of waiting death tomorrow, I will, he will kill them with a sword. Is it wrong or right? He has taken the same decision, but he is just playing with time, maybe a few hours earlier. The end result of it, the thief on the cross, the right thief, according to our tradition, is not going to be saved. And if you are accusing this person, he said, why? I was, he was going to die tomorrow, and these few hours will never affect his life. Which again is not true at all, and not, not real at all, because the church is always tell, telling us that, the church is always telling us, you have no right to do it. And by all means, at all times, it is God's timing, and He's giving opportunity to repent at any time, and at any point you have the chance to do it. Why the church still today is praying for every single person who passed away in the liturgy, in the after the commemoration of the saints. Sometimes it, but we know that this person lived a, a very unholy life, but we don't know what happened in his last few minutes. The church has hope in the salvation of everyone. And sometimes we say, but he is going to be in a coma. We don't know if God will give him a chance to wake up for a few minutes in this coma or not. So please don't play God. We have no right to play God. The other story I would like to share it with you. It's a real story happened here with us on one of the ladies. She was cancer. She had cancer and she was in hospice just for the last three, four weeks of, his li of her life to die. And this lady was a convert from Islam, and he, she did not read the Bible. She had no ch ch uh, chance to read the Bible. She was baptized, and then she went to the hospital, hospital directly. But what happened during these three or four weeks? 
every single youth of our church have seen the reality of the joy of death and the assurance of heaven. This lady, in the last three weeks of her life, she has seen nearly all the visions of the book of Revelation. And she was telling us some of them word by word. Through day, four days before her departure, the Lord and Virgin Mary visited her. And I can tell you, um, now a priest for nearly 19 years, she was the most joyful person I have seen in my life and accepting this in such a joyful way, joyful way. We can either say, we can save her these four months. She was in pain, definitely. She was under palliative care, but she was still in pain. And like in God is able to use her as well, was able to use her as well to strengthen and encourage, I can tell you, all of our use. And because of that, three of her children were converted again from Islam and became Christians. She said, we never saw our mom so peaceful and joyful as such. So the experience that the church has, that even in the last moments, we can help a lot. If you go to go back to the church desert fathers, you will find very common act at the very end of the life of any of the monks on the desert, all the monks come coming around him or her and then talking about the last moments and how they have seen visions and how they were encouraging people, how they're saying a very valuable words in the last few minutes or seconds of their life. The church is proclaiming the life. One of the church fathers said the church is the manifestation of eternity in time. If you are looking for eternity in time, and we are the manifestation of this eternity in time, then we have no choice rather than to follow the word of God in its fullness, joyfully, even when there is pain and suffering, because every pain and every suffering is for the glory of God and for the edification of man and the whole humanity around him. May the glory of Lord Jesus Christ be with you from now and forever and ever. Amen.